Good morning, and welcome back to the First Things in the Morning podcast. This is a podcast where I tell you fun stories and facts while you wake up and have your morning tea. After this short episode, you can start your day knowing just a little bit more than you did yesterday. This podcast has no set topic, as the whole point of it is that we all learn a little bit more about everything. But I do want to bring some structure into it. So I've decided to start different series, all with their own keyword. That way, we all know what we are in for at the start of the episode. The first series I want to announce is something I'm going to call On the Map, where I pick a region or a country and talk about any number of things relating to it. Today, we are putting Ethiopia on the map. Hi, quick insert from Editing Sophie, because as I was listening back to this, I realized I didn't really mention at all that Ethiopia does have its fair share of uh, war and violence. Um, And I'm not trying to hide that in this episode, but I do want to make this on the map series more about uh, lighter stuff and about culture and history um, without necessarily going into um, those kinds of deep topics. So totally think that's something that should be discussed. Uh, and I'm not trying to um, sugarcoat any uh, country or any place in this series. But just so you know, um, that's for a different time. We will be going back in time, starting at today and ending in roughly 3 million years ago. Ethiopia is an East African country, and it is known for being one of the poorest countries in the world. But that's about as far as my knowledge went on the place. But it is actually an endlessly fascinating country, as I'm sure all countries are when you do a deep dive on them at 3am on a Tuesday, maybe with a beer. <laughs> Politically, Ethiopia hasn't always been very stable, but things are definitely looking up. In October 2018, the country's first female president, Shalewerk Zude, has taken office. The presidential position is mostly symbolical in Ethiopia with the Prime Minister holding most political power, but it is still seen as a very important position. Just because Zude doesn't have much political power, doesn't mean that her appointment isn't a huge step for feminism in Ethiopia. It doesn't only break the glass ceiling in minds of young girls, ensuring that they know that their gender won't hold them back from doing anything they set their mind to, but it also normalizes women in high positions. It will raise a new generation of people that won't just take the absence of women in power for granted, because they grew up knowing it to be normal. It is well known that good representation is the first step to acceptance, um, or if not acceptance, just getting used to it, which is fine by me. Zude has been a diplomat for many years. In the past 30 years, she has been the Ethiopian ambassador of Senegal, France and Djibouti. I just want to say that I have never heard of the country Djibouti, and in the interest of this podcast learning me stuff, I looked it up, and it turns out it's a tiny, tiny country northeast of Ethiopia, about 23,000 square kilometers, which surprisingly is just a bit bigger than Wales, uh, and about the same size as the lake we talked about last week. I never intended this to become a podcast about Wales-sized things, but... Uh, it just happens to work out that way. <laughs> anyway, okay, detour over. Djibouti, tiny country. Now back to the topic at hand. 
Saudi has had a long diplomatic career. And now, at the age of 68, she is the president of her country. And during her inaugural speech, she immediately addressed the inequality between men and women, as well as that between ethnic groups and different religions. Here are some of her killer quotes from her speech. If the current change in Ethiopia is headed equally by both men and women, it can sustain its momentum and realize a prosperous Ethiopia, free of religious, ethnic and gender discrimination. The absence of peace victimizes firstly women, so during my tenure I will emphasize women's roles in ensuring peace and the dividends of peace for women. Which is pretty cool. Just before Zaudé became president, Abiy Ahmed became prime minister. It took him no time at all to appoint half of the posts in the Ethiopian cabinet to women. Uh, so now the country does not only have a female president, but also a cabinet that is evenly divided between the two main genders. Mr. Ahmed also ended the state of war with Eritrea almost instantly, and he has promised more transparency within the government, which is great because the country still deals with a lot of unrest and corruption within the government. So now we are somewhat up to date to the current affairs of this country. Um, so we can hop back in time and hover over the 19th and 20th century. Ethiopia is the oldest independent country in Africa because it was never successfully colonized by the Europeans like most other countries in, on the continent. Most African countries were at some point a colony of a European country, either because the Europeans decided it was theirs in the 18th and 19th century or because the Europeans decided it was theirs during the infamous scramble of Africa that started in the 1880s. I am planning an episode about all the shitty things Europeans have done um, not that long ago, but if you are not familiar with the scramble for Africa, it was basically a point in history in which Europe sat down and said, so, who wants what? And that's a terrible thing to do. Please don't divide whole continents with millions of people on it up among your friends for your own gain. But Ethiopia wasn't scrambled up. Italy gave colonization a good old college try in 1935 and they did have some power over the country uh, for about five years but Ethiopia was never successfully colonized. And during the African colonization period Ethiopia served as a beacon of light for other African countries that were trying to get out from under the European thumb. Of course a country is not only its government or those who are in power, it is also all the people who live in it and all the people who have ever lived in it. And <laughs> Ethiopia has a lot of different kinds of people living in it. There are more than 80 different ethnic groups within Ethiopia, with about as many languages to go along with it. The biggest ethnic group, with about 34% of the population, is the Oromo people. Research has shown that the Oromo people have resided in Ethiopia for nearly a millennium. The second biggest group is the Amhara people, with 26% of the total population. Most languages uh, in Ethiopia, as in most of North Africa, are from the Afro-Asiatic language family. But the incredible amount of languages spoken just in Ethiopia sadly also means that some will be crowded out. One example of this happening is to the Ongota language. 
The people from the Ongota tribe, who spoke this language, used to be an independent tribe, getting most of their food from hunting and small farming activities. But then food became scarce and their modest way of living wasn't enough anymore. They slowly started to form alliances with nearby tribes and over time they became part of the Tsamako tribe. The Ungota language started to fade out, both because it was less practical to speak now that the Ungota people were surrounded by others unfamiliar with the language, but also because it was a language that was looked down upon by the main tribe and seen as a lower class language which it shamed the people who spoke Ungota into no longer speaking it. By now, the language is as good as dead, with only eight fluent speakers left in 2014. Luckily though, linguists have been working together with the last generation of native speakers, and they've put the language to paper. It is of course very unlikely that the language will ever be learned and spoken again, but at least we now can't forget it ever existed. And who knows, the knowledge might help linguists understand a new unknown factor of human speech someday. Another byproduct of the diversity that has always been part of Ethiopian history is that a lot of history is drowned out and forgotten. Many tribes that might have been gigantic and affluent at some point in time have died out or have merged in such a way that they're no longer recognizable. Ethiopia has a great amount of amazing archaeological sites with one of the most important being the Tia prehistoric site. Tia has about 36 monuments, and they are upright standing megaliths. Megalith is just a fancy word for big-ass stone. Some of these stones measure up to 5 meters high. That's about 2.5 persons if you take a very tall person. And nearly all of them have symbols carved into the surface. Some symbols are obvious, like swords or human-like shapes, while others just seem to be geometric shapes. These stones belong to an ancient Ethiopian culture, but not much else is known. Scientists have not been able to work out uh, from what time period they are or what their significance was to the culture that put them up. Because of the gigantic size of these megaliths, it must have been a lot of work um, to arrange them. So it can't have been without cultural meaning, because otherwise you wouldn't put so much time into it, right? Some graves were found nearby, leading some to believe that the stones were part of a death or burial ritual for important figures in the society, while others just think that the graves are unrelated and perhaps not even from the same culture or time. These upright standing megaliths are also known as stele, and they appear all over Ethiopia and have been known to be very important to many Ethiopian cultures not just for the ancient culture responsible for the Tia stones. The exact nature of the Tia stones specifically is unknown. About some other megaliths, we do know why they're there. But the Tia stones are so old that we have no idea. As we learned from the previous episode, I cannot post pictures in the episode description, but I will post pictures of the Tia site on the First Things Spot Twitter account. So... Go take a look over there. It's add first things pod. These stones are really quite impressive. You can also just Google them. <laughs> it's incredible that people, probably thousands of years ago, put these stones up and they did such a good job that they are still there in 2019 for us to look at them. No one remembers who these people were, but it is still very apparent that they were here to begin with. 
And that's something that I find really impressive. Older than the Tia Megalith, though, is Lucy. Lucy was found in 1974 by paleoanthropologist Donald Johansson and Tom Gray. They found about 40 fossilized pieces of bone fragment in the north of Ethiopia. The bones belong to a single female hominid. All humans and some apes are technically hominids, because hominid is the, sp the species that we all belong to. But Lucy was an Australopithecus afarensis, and that is a now completely extinct kind of hominid. It is the oldest known member in the hominid family. And it is not known if Lucy is a direct ancestor to us humans, or rather a kind of sibling with an unknown ancestor uh, shared with humans. But one way or the other, she is our oldest known relative. And we know quite a bit about little Lucy, even though she walked around 3 million years ago. She was about 1 meter tall, and she was a matured but young adult woman. The reason we know she was an adult is that her, what we would now consider to be wisdom teeth, had come through and they show signs of wear and tear. So she was old enough to have used them for a bit, but they were still intact enough for her not to be old. And just from doing research on the bone fragments, which altogether make up about 40% of a whole skeleton, it has also been proven that the Australopithecus afarensis was a bipedal animal. It walked upright on its two feet, like we do. So it was definitely closer to us than some apes that still walk on all four limbs most of the time. Which is cool. So, to recap. Our older sister walked through Ethiopia three million years ago. Then some people carved really impressive stones and put them upright. Later on, the whole country kicked Italy's ass. And now we have a female president. Which, altogether, that's a pretty good recap for one country. I think that's enough um, to put this country on the map. But please, there's so much more in this wonderful place. Nature is beautiful. There's so much culture you could make an entire podcast on its own about it. Go look up all the pictures and stories you can find. It's all really good. But that's all I have for you guys today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget that you can send in any stories or topic requests to firstthingspodcast at gmail.com that's firstthingspodcast at gmail.com or tweet them at inthemorningpod that's at inthemorningpod if you like the show perhaps give it a rating or review on itunes that really seems to be a thing podcasters want and i really want to fit in with them <laughs> thanks and see you next time on the first things in the morning podcast <laughs>